0: This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. One welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, four thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Every
1: fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 17 of Jordan Space, and welcome, as always, to my co-hosts, Danny and Paul. Today, we're going to be speaking with our guest, Frank Ritchie, where we'll be talking about how, following the death of his son to suicide, Frank now travels around the country sharing his music to bring hope to others, whilst campaigning and fundraising for charities. Danny, Paul, before we meet Frank, I want to spend a few minutes discussing a topic which was brought into sharp focus last week when, Paul, you and I attended a meeting of the National Suicide Mm -hmm. Prevention Alliance. Um, We were one of a number of NSPA members who were invited to give our views on priorities, targets and measurements for the government's recently announced suicide prevention plan. Paul, why is this potentially an important moment for people like ourselves who work in suicide prevention?
2: Well, I think that if, you, if we go back to countries um, that haven't had national plans or national strategies, and, and there's still some of those around, uh, when we talk about how can we reduce the number of suicides, one of the most common suggestions is, oh, let's have a national plan. You know, let's have a national strategy. That should do it. Uh, and in some cases, it, it can obviously help uh, by coordinating resources Everybody discussing, you know, what needs to be done, agreeing on what needs to be done coordinating a way forward, etc. You know, whole of government approaches, all that kind of stuff. Um, an approach that's probably been done very well recently in Scotland, whole of government, whole of society. Um, but obviously it has to be the right plan. <laughs> it has to be the right strategy. It has to be the right actions. Uh, it has to be the right You know, anything that's prioritised for resources has to be the right priorities. Otherwise, it doesn't help or can even harm, you know. So uh, it's a key moment in that sense. And we've had two five-year national plans and national strategies in in, in, in covering England and Wales, uh, starting in 2012. Um, And a lot of people have said they've been very useful, um, although, you know, the numbers haven't gone down, the numbers of suicides haven't gone down. Um, Targets have been set to reduce the numbers of suicides, um, you know, 10% reduction over a five year period, but the numbers haven't gone down. So we do have to keep asking questions about what is the role of this plan or strategy? What is it trying to achieve and what are the right uh, actions and approaches that are going to get those numbers down? Because that's what it's all about at the end of the day.
1: I know you mentioned Scotland a moment ago and 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 their plan in involving government and society. And, and, you know, historically, if we look back, um, Scotland, you know, has made some breakthroughs in the past, even though numbers started to increase again. What is it particularly, do you think, about the approach in, in Scotland that maybe we could learn from?
2: Well, I think that Scotland have learned from a lot of the feedback that people working in the sector have been giving about it needing to be a collaborative approach. Uh, it's not just the government strategy. It's not just top-down. We need top-down. We need to know what are the key things that need to come down from above in terms of legislation, regulation, the big bang stuff. But um, uh, they've recognised that it needs to be a lot of ground up as well. That's where a lot of this, these these solutions are. Uh, they've involved people with lived experience. They've got a national leadership group which is you know people from government and all sorts of organizations they've had a very very sort of prominent public engagement program which initially started with a very open sort of blank sheet of paper approach and then came up with a plan and then put that out a a specific suicide prevention plan that was put out for public consultation you know as opposed to in England Wales where we had the 10-year mental health plan with a kind of marginal mention of suicide prevention Um, and no kind of public engagement specifically around suicide prevention so yeah when you read the Scotland plan you you kind of it gives you a lot more confidence that the process at least seems to uh, be more of the right kind of process for tackling an issue like suicide prevention
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, the theme of uh, the particular NSP forum that we attended last week uh, around the national plan was targets and measurement, as I mentioned, including a a national target to reduce the number of suicides. Of course, the Jordan Legacy is currently rolling out our action research project. And one of the key questions we're asking of people we're meeting with is how far can we go in reducing suicides? Um, What did you make of the discussion at last week's meeting around this particular issue?
2: It was an interesting discussion. It was a good opportunity, and, and you know, delighted that um, you know that NSPA uh, coordinated that. And they said they were going to do more of those kind of sessions. We, we definitely need more of those kind of sessions. It has to be uh, lots of opportunities for input into this, because uh, that's part of the solution. The whole collaboration. You can't have any small group of people, advisory group, or whatever, no matter how clever the, they may be or how, many, how much experience they have. Uh, deciding on these things it's got to be a collaborative thing yeah in our in our our research where we're asking that question about how can we get the numbers down how far can we go and they are two related questions obviously and the whole psychology of this is critical as well Uh, so you can't have a discussion in abstract about targets it's a bit like think of it like a corporate setting sales targets you know if it says we're going to increase sales across the region by 15% Go away and do that. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, how 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 can I do that?" You know, but if you say, "Well, look, these are the actions we all agree will get the numbers down," you know, how far do we think the numbers can go down? You get into a different kind of discussion. So it was a little bit difficult. A lot of it was in abstract on about targets and measurement and so on. Obviously, we need to marry these two things together.
1: Yeah, definitely, Danny. I, I'm conscious of the fact you you don't get to attend these kinds of meetings as, as Paul and I do but I was wondering if you have a view on the setting of national targets to reduce suicide yourself
3: well I suppose I want to know that if a national target was set then would anyone be held accountable if it if it wasn't achieved and the last target the government set was to reduce suicides by 10 percent over five years and this wasn't achieved and was there anyone or any government department or body held accountable for this
1: yeah good good question Paul you got some thoughts on that yeah, absolutely. I think it's a
2: really, really important question, um, you know, who is accountable, who is responsible, you know, who's going to do what. Um, so when we say we want to get the numbers of suicides down, who, who's going to get those numbers down by doing what and who is accountable? And if this if if everybody just holds their hands up and says, oh, well, you know, we didn't achieve that 10 percent last time. Uh you know, let's move on, <laughs> then it, it doesn't give anybody confidence that we're going to get the numbers down in the next five years. You know, what's the point? Some people might start saying, what's the point of having a plan like this? So there's a lot of work to be done, uh, you know, to, to to give a note of hope to it. It's possible. There's a lot of people thinking, you know, we can achieve this. We can achieve considerable reductions with the right process. But again, it's with the right actions and with the right people involved and the right people responsible. And the right people held accountable um but there is a way through this
1: so many thanks both in a few moments we're going to meet frank richie um frank lost his son alan to suicide in 2015 and shortly before his son's death frank had begun to learn to play the ukulele sadly it was a talent that alan would never witness since then frank has mastered playing this instrument and learning songs chosen from some of his favorite artists Frank travels around the north of England and Scotland entertaining and brightening the days of those in hospitals, including psychiatric centres and other settings, while sharing an important message of hope with those he meets along the way. Before we meet Frank, we're going to play a song which was particularly important to Frank and played at Alan's funeral. That funeral was attended by more than 250 of his family and friends. And Frank describes this song as a message to us all. Let's listen to Cat Stevens and in the end.
2: This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio.
1: Welcome back. Lockerbie in Scotland is a place etched in the memory for many of us following the dreadful terrorist act in December 1988, which brought down Pan Am flight 103 with more than 240 passengers and 16 crew on board. For our guest this week, Frank Ritchie, Lockerbie and its railway station in particular holds a tragic memory. This was the location that his son, Alan, chose to end his own life in 2015. Frank, welcome to the show. It is great to to have you with us. I'd like to start by acknowledging the song we've just played, which is one by Cat Stevens called In The End. And I know it was a song that was played at Alan's funeral and you've described it as a message to us all. What do you believe that message is?
4: Um, my answer really is um, from a quotation from Linda Ronstadt, uh, one of the great singers of the 60s and 70s. And she was asked, she was asked the question, why do we sing? And her answer was, um, we sing for the same reason that birds sing. We sing for a mate. We sing for claiming their territory or simply to give voice to the delight of being alive in the midst of a beautiful day we sing so that the subsequent generations won't forget what the current generations endured or dreamed or delighted in now my distillation of that is that song uh, is all about in the end and it was it was it was the end of alan's life but in a sense it was a beginning of something something new for us perhaps it, it indicated what, what he had endured, a little bit about what he'd endured.
1: You know, the theme of of today's show is, is we're calling the, the the power of music to heal. And, and we're going to be playing several songs today that mean something special to you. Um, yep. But a number of them are, are also songs that you've learned to play yourself and uh, yes. on the ukulele, of course. And, and I'm hoping we're going to be okay. able to tempt you to possibly play a couple of those here on the show today, if you're up for that,
4: yeah. Try and stop me, Steve. Try and stop
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, good, Frank. Before we talk about your your life now and and the music and and hear from you, of course, and some of the other tracks you've chosen today, would you tell our listeners a, a little about Alan? Really, what what are your fondest memories? I understand he was a keen
4: sportsman. He was. He was. He was very good at at various sports, but particularly good at football. So from a younger age. You know, we, we, we followed his, his football um, being part of a, a club team um, from about the age of seven or eight. And um, I, I didn't really have an interest in football. You know, my father hadn't taken me to football matches. We didn't particularly support any any team, but uh, we followed him in his sport. And um, as, as he grew up, uh, when he was 13, he was selected as a, what they call an S form for Kilmarnock. Football club. Now, I would suggest that that's perhaps where his mental health, anxiety, started because he didn't really want to go and play um, for for a, a team like that. He he wanted to play for his club, and there was a there was a lot of parental pressure for and against him making that decision. And uh, at that at that time. Um, the marriage between his, his mother and I was disintegrating, so Alan was really caught in the in the middle of the, the crossfire of all that and witnessed the the devastation and destruction of that. But he was a he was a boy who was, as I say, he was sensitive, and I think I get the impression that when you're when you're in that kind of football type situation, you need to be really quite strong and quite quite aggressive really certainly very very self-assured. Alan was
1: 31 when he took his own life and and you've kind of alluded already Frank to the fact that there were maybe a number of factors which led to Alan developing anxiety from his early teenage years. Now you know I, I have read an article that um you wrote and was published in the Herald in in Scotland on the 31st of August of 2015, where you were very, very open really about the experience. And it'd be interesting to chat a a little bit about this.
4: On reflection, I'm thinking maybe I should have spent a lot more time just asking him how he felt and, you know, what, what I could do to to help him with his anxiety and and, in later life, um, know in his in his 20s and 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 so on we we talked a lot more about how he felt and um he he felt the benefit of of just talking about it and me me being allowed you know being able to listen to him rather than as a parent telling him what's good for him
1: i understand as as alan's life developed frank that um he actually did uh, make make a move over to to paris um uh, and secured a, a teaching yes. post over there and um tell us a little yeah. bit about his time over there
4: yeah well he um he had been he graduated two thousand and six he then decided he wanted to be a secondary teacher a math teacher and that that um you know i i was quite supportive in that his his mother was perhaps less so because i had been a teacher and she'd been a she was a teacher and um, she felt that he could he could do do things better than that. So he he went to um, teacher training college and um, he he graduated from that with with some difficulty. And then he announced um, that he wanted to find himself and um, challenge himself. And he always wanted to try to, or get, sort out the issues of his anxiety and, and depression himself rather than seeking help from, from us. Uh, although he had, he had taken part in counseling, medication and so on. So off he went to Paris. He worked in a primary school teaching the, the youngsters English and he met a Mexican girl who was, who was staying in the same town in the same, same student accommodation, I guess. And, uh, they had, they had a relationship, and my, my second wife um, and myself went over to Paris to, to, uh, to see them. And um, that particular few days that we spent with them in Paris, I observed was perhaps the happiest time that I had noticed he had ever been in um, in, his, in his life, now that he was in his mid-20s. However, that that didn't last because he came back and he gave up his his Mexican girlfriend. And I asked him at that time, you know, why why did you give up? Why, Why not go to Mexico City and see how life could be there with her? And he had had a girlfriend at university and he'd given her up. And he basically said, I gave them up because I didn't want them to be burdened with somebody like me who, you know, was was you know had had mental health issues, and I felt that was terribly, terribly sad um, for him. Frankie, as you've described Alan,
2: it does sound like a young man struggling to find his his way in the world, and you know struggling with key decisions in his life. And and the first thing you talked about was the football. You actually talked about him perhaps being under pressure on the football. It sounds like he enjoyed his football, but under pressure to succeed in the football and what yes. you also actually said I think you said parental p- pressure yes um, so can you just give us a little bit more insight into what those pressures were for Alan and why that was such a, a difficult
4: time there's a, I think it was BBC ran a documentary series on, on young youngsters um, hoping to make it in, in professionally in, in football. And you could tell from that documentary the, the parental pressure to to succeed. Obviously, it's, it's a great talent to have for a for a young person to to, to be chosen to, to um, take part in, in training for a, a football team. But as, as we know from our society, footballers are extremely well paid, wealthy people, and um, what a what a way to earn a living by by simply mm-hmm. Playing a game of football, playing a sport. So at the age of thirteen, um, Alan, as I said, was was talented. He was spotted by a by a coach, by by a, a talent spotter in in, uh, in Kilmarnock, which was a Premier League team. And it, I think his mother felt that he he would be, you know, he was being chosen, and that he should he should take up that that opportunity, um, because you know the the glittering prizes were or ahead of him if he, if he succeeded in that. From the day, from the day he joined the club, he, um, you know, he was in amongst youngsters who were as talented as he was, and um, he just, you know his, because of his, his anxiety and because he'd been kind of made to, to take part in this, um, this football thing rather than just of his own free will... I remember him saying to me, and this was this this wasn't at the time. This was as an adult, when we really had these long conversations. That he said, "You know, Dad," he said, "I'd I'd lie in my bed at night praying. Uh, football was on the next day. I'd be praying that it'd be frosty, or or the rain would wash out the game, and that the thing would be cancelled or postponed." I guess I guess the two words that spring to mind are happiness and success. You know. He yep. wanted he wanted to be happy, and uh, you know parents maybe wanted him to be more successful that happiness comes from success, financial success, career success. Whereupon I tended to think it was the other way about you know as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter how successful you are as long as internally you're happy and I think he always um, that was always an issue for him.
3: You mentioned um, Frank that you were able to form a, a close bond with Alan, and and where he was able to openly talk to you about how he was feeling. Did he
2: yeah. ever
3: mention to you that he'd had thoughts of suicide? Did that ever kind of come up in conversations, particularly in those <coughs> really leading up to his death, where he said that he particularly was struggling? Did he did he mention that
4: he was thinking of that at all? He did. He did when he when he was at university. I mean, he was he was taking uh, counselling. Who were paying for for counselling sessions, and um, and I think he was taking some medication as well, which he felt was not was not right for him. Um, he had mentioned that at um, this was after university when he was when he was working before he went to France that he he felt suicidal. He, you know he thought about it, but he didn't he didn't particularly see himself as carrying it through because. He anticipated the grief and the, the pain that it would cost his family, cause to his family and friends. You know, to myself. And we had long, long conversations. And he felt better just talking about it to me. Um, you know, in in the end, in the last few months of his of his life, he decided he he just wanted he wanted the peace to, to kind of lead his life himself and to sort himself out. Um, we had a we had a meeting. Um, about three weeks before he died, and uh, he he was in a he was in he was very low, very low, and um, we it, the our meeting didn't didn't end well, um, because he he felt that um, I guess he was reflecting on the, in his earlier life as I've, we've talked about in the programme, and he he just basically told me that um, I should have been more of a father, I should have protected him more been more of a parent, and he off he went, and um, my mistake was I, I didn't go after him. I was so upset, so angry, if you like. Uh, a fortnight later, I got the phone call from the British Transport Police.
1: Now you've referred in the article, Frank, to the British journalist Libby Purface, who, yes. who said, you know, he stayed as long as he could, and I thought that was a very, very poignant. Um, statement and quote Um, and as you've said yourself Alan you know left footprints of kindness and compassion you know for all all that that knew him. Um, Frank we're gonna we're gonna take a break now and thank you for sharing so openly your your story about Alan. In a moment or two we're gonna take a break and play another music track. We've been playing a couple of tracks that you've chosen already. We opened up the show with Wake Me Up by Avicii and of course played Cat Stevens a little earlier this particular track we're going to play, though, is by Paul McCartney and the Beatles, and it's called "Blackbird." Tell us why this song is important to you.
4: I think it's one of the songs that, one of the very few songs that I remember that Alan actually played. I mean, he he had a guitar, and he learned to play the guitar when he was at university, and when he was um, when he was teaching up up north, up in in Keith. Uh, we went to visit him I went to stay with him in his digs for two or three days and I remember sitting in the, in the, the lounge and he had his guitar and I had a coffee or something and he played this this one um, Blackbird you know um, I think it's blackbird singing in the dead of night take these broken wings and learn to fly you know and I was um, you know he sang it and I just thought it was just so sad. that's one of the one of the very few songs that I remember Alan actually, Singing and and that that was a song that we that was played um, at at his funeral. Well, obviously a very poignant
1: song. And let's take a break now, and we'll listen to "Blackbird" by Paul McCartney and the Beatles. And we'll be right back after this. This, this is,
0: is Yawa Radio. Radio.
1: Welcome back. Uh, this week's Jordan Space. We're speaking to Frank Ritchie, who's just been sharing the story of his son Alan who took his life in 2015, and some of the challenges that Alan had through his life in finding himself and trying to find hope and purpose in his life. And for the second part of our conversation with Frank now, we're going to talk about the hope that Frank has found himself through music. And Now, Frank, um, we know you play the ukulele, but um, yep. this was something that Alan wasn't aware of and something you picked up right. fairly soon afterwards um, after losing Alan, I believe.
4: Yes, I started, um, you know, being, being retired. Um, I was looking for something, you know, something to do, a hobby, an interest. And um, I came across this ukulele group. I'd always wanted to... To learn um, to to sing and play, never really, never really did anything about it. But there you was know, a big ukulele group in in Dumfries, so I went along, and uh, this would be about October October fourteen, and um, and joined this beginners class of eighty adults <laughs> learning to play the ukulele uh, once a week, and so I picked up some chords and some tunes and, and whatever, and um, you know I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it's a, it's a great little instrument and relatively easy to to learn. The first concert for me was in a church in in Dumfries uh, on the eleventh of June two thousand fifteen. So uh, I was at the I was at the concert in the you know up stage with sixty or seventy people, two or three hundred people in the audience, and we had a great evening um, singing and, and playing our, our ukuleles. But that night was the night the, the talent died. You know, as as we say with the Buddy Holly, that, that was the the moment the music died. So that was that was the end of it. About a year later, um, I was at a Ukulele Music Weekend in Dumfries, and uh, I met a chap there, um, Manitoba Hall, and I was just just blown away by the music. And I thought, you know, if I if I go back to the music again maybe I could do a bit of fundraising for um, mental health charities. And I'm I'm particularly drawn, it's no coincidence, I'm particularly drawn to charities that involve where where dads have lost their sons. And um, that's why, you know, I'm I'm connecting with you, Steve and uh, Evan Grant with the Cameron Grant Memorial Trust, Uh, Philip Mitchell with the CM Foundation, Chris Mitchell Foundation, which is a, a football um, foundation uh, up in up in Scotland, so that that really started me on the road to um, literally giving little little concerts and gigs wherever wherever I could I could find one and um, doing a bit of fundraising, a bit of campaigning, but also you know make no mistake by singing and playing, it's a therapy for me as well.
1: You know you 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 go to hospitals and psychiatric. Centres and yes. um, um, often yeah. people will come up to you and uh, ask you why you're playing. What, what's usually the response from people when you tell them the why?
4: Um, well, there's 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 usually there's usually moments a moment or two of of kind of silence, and then very often people will say, Do you know, I lost my grandfather, I lost my brother, um, or a good friend, or whatever. We not we never talked about it. It was it was brushed under the carpet. We were ashamed of it. And I you know, I say, Well, here I here I am, um, you know, campaigning and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. We're trying to we're trying to by what we do prevent prevent it happening. We you know, we're in a club that nobody wants to be a member of. And um if if we can if we can stop um people doing this 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 thing then uh then we, we can do so. So we, we very often have a conversation, little conversation to do with suicide and to do with their their story and maybe a little bit about a little bit more about my story. But usually when I do the gigs, you know, there's the songs are happy songs, sing along songs. There's maybe one or two that I'll put in there that have to do with um being sad and being low, and, and as you've said, Frank, this
1: is um, obviously a way, great way of opening up the conversation with people, yeah. which is so important. Now, look, we 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 we're going to put you on the spot a, a little bit here, um, and um, I, I know there are a number of songs that you've learned to play, and. The one that I'm going to ask you to uh, to play for us now is one that you and I heard together last year at the Suicide Bereavement UK conference in Manchester, where the three yeah. dads were invited in uh, the towards the end of the event. And they came in uh, to the song performed by the young'uns called Three Dads Walking. And uh, yeah, if you're up for it and you'd like yeah. to, to give us a tune, we'd love to hear your, your rendition of that.
4: Thank you very much. Yep, here we go. My dad's boots are old and worn. My dad's face is tired and drawn. But my dad's feet will meet the dawn. My dad's walking on. My dad's cheeks are red and raw. My dad's legs are bruised and sore. My dad's feet can take some more. My dad's walking on. From Lakeland to Eastern Penn, three hundred miles and back again. We will walk and talk like men. My dad's walking on. My dad's world was torn in two. The words can hold the pain he knew. There was one thing that he could do. My dad's walking on. My dad speaks of all his pain, so other dads might do the same. My dad will not be ashamed, my dad's walking on. As one to Eastern Fen, 300 miles and back again, we will walk and top for them, three dads walking on. My dad's holding all the while, a picture from a simpler time, a daughter with an endless smile, my dad's walking on, three birds singing in the dell, if we had known, if we could tell, if we had caught them as they fell, we'd keep walking on living
1: well that, that deserves a round of applause i think um big like a steve wright in the afternoon moment frank that that was uh that was amazing thank you uh, for, for performing that uh for us <laughs>
2: oh, that was beautiful frank thanks for that that was a great rendition of that song and uh And clearly you enjoy that. And i can kind of relating what you do now, going back to that story about Alan and, and, and you know, under pressure to do things and maybe not just, you know, doing what he enjoyed doing. And Steve uh, mentioned about, you know, your choice. Did you go out and campaign, do talks or set up a charity or something? Or did you go out and do your music? So to what extent do you do this purely because you enjoy it? And to what extent is it more than that?
4: I think it's perhaps more than that. I mean, from literally from the day that I found, found out Alan had died, you know, I, I always say, you know, the op- what, I ask myself what are the options for me, you know, either to follow Alan or to take to the bottle or to go to my bed and not bother getting up again or to actually do something to try to, you know, how do you give, how do I give Alan's death meaning? And the answer came that well you know I still have a a, a life to live, and um, by by campaigning, I can uh, I can help in some way. I guess as part of Alan's you know as part of Alan's memory, if if Alan had known that I sing and I play and I raise funds for for charity, I believe he would approve of it. So when I'm doing these things, it's as if it's as if somewhere. He's he's there nodding or and smiling if you like, um, and I I just sometimes think I wish that he could have, he could have been a bit a bit more like me. Um, I do it to to honour him. I was down at Lockerbie Railway Station recently because Samaritans have a have a, a campaign called Small Talk, and they were they were down at Lockerbie Station, and um, you know I, I talked to them. I, I was involved with Samaritans for a few months. Uh, in the early years after Alan had died. Um, and, you know, I just thought they were, they were doing such good work with this this campaign, and particularly at Lockerbie Station. And the the, the, the bizarreness of it all was later on in the day, Um, I, again, I was passing the station in, in the car, and I saw all these people standing on the platform. I thought, the Samaritans, this is amazing. So I went down and I counted there were 200 people at Lockerbie Railway Station on the platforms. And I thought... Sure, and Samaritans had disappeared. And I thought, oh, I wonder what this is about. And then I heard the sound of this this train hooting and it was the Flying Scotsman, the world's most famous train on its 100th anniversary tour of UK coming into Lockerbie Station.
1: We're going to ask you to play play another song here. (laughs) And you mentioned a little earlier in the conversation about an artist called Manitoba Howell. Now, yes, you may not know this. Uh, we have a particular connection as a family to Manitoba in Canada because we live there as a family. Um, okay. Jordan and danielle were were brought up in their schooling years over there and and Jordan certainly loved his time there and didn't want to come back. And those several years living in 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 Winnipeg, you know, were, you know, very special moments for him. So when you chose this song, um, you know, it had a particular resonance with me as well. Um, but there is a story behind this. The song is called Blessed by Love, but I believe you had uh, quite a connection with Manitoba, yes. Hal.
4: Yes. Well, when I when I went to remember I mentioned that I had I'd gone to the ukulele festival a year after Alan died, and and I was completely blown away and inspired by the, the, the musicians, and, and in particular, uh, one of the, the people there called Manitoba Hal, and that really got me going again. The, the year after that, so that would be summer of uh, six, seven or 17, 2017, he was back again, and I had learned the song and played the song to him, and we, uh, you know, he was, he was quite chuffed at the, the fact that I'd, I'd learned the song. And um, that, that weekend, at the end of the weekend, we there was a big concert and all the people who were invited to sing on stage. And the audience was about 400, 500 people there. And um, he, he came on stage and he said, I've got a new song called Blessed by Love. And he said, I talked to this chap, Frank Ritchie, about um, about mental health and, and, and so on. he said, and I'd like to dedicate this song to, to Frank. Well, it's, uh, so he, he played this song and I emotionally, you won't believe it, emotionally, I slid off my chair literally and I was heading for the floor and the Stuart, Stuart Butterworth, the, the, the person who runs the, the club, he must have kind of anticipated that. So he was there and I just, he just caught my elbow and, and brought me back onto my seat again. And in Carlisle, just, uh, just before lockdown, Hal was playing at a well, there's a, a shop and a club there called World of Ukes. and he was playing there a gig, and he and I sang this song as a duet, and I thought this is wonderful. So, so Manitoba Hal is my my ukulele hero and guru. Oh, I can um, I
1: can. That is just such a wonderful story, Frank. <laughs> and and we're going to ask you to to play that song by Manitoba Hal, as you say it's called yeah. "Blessed by Love," and uh, by whenever love. You're, whenever you're ready.
3: Yeah.
4: If I was a river I would float free I could slip past any rock Try and stop me If I was water I could float like that And you couldn't stop me I'm a natural fact If I was a bird I would fly free, not be held by a cage, you couldn't catch me, yes if I had wings, I would take to the sky, not be held by the ground, no way to fly, I'm not a river, on my way to the sea, not a bird in the sky, I cannot fly free i'm just a man blessed by love blessed by love blessed by love now if it was soil i'd be fresh and clean i could grow lots of food more than you'd ever need if i was dirt i'd be home for the trees be a bed for the river Ground for your feet. I'm not a river on my way to the sea. Not a bird in the sky. I cannot fly free. I'm just a man, less by love, less by love, less by love.
1: Absolutely wonderful, Frank. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Um, Frank, it's been a real pleasure having you on Jordan Space uh, today. This is a real departure for us to have live live music and so brilliantly uh, played uh, as well. You know, we're we're coming to the uh, towards the end of the show here. And um, Um, I just wonder what your message of hope would be for those listening to the show today.
4: I do at um, i can i can uh, I'll I'll say it in the form of a a few lines from robert burns our scottish national bard um, alan uh, his his ashes are actually in aran which is an island off the west coast of scotland but um, at Samueling, i have a, in the the cabinet um, where people have mementos and ashes and so on i have a photo of alan um, and I also have a copy of this, this, these few words from Robert Burns, which I think and I hope anybody who, who visits and sees them may, may take, uh, take comfort from them. Robert Burns wrote, Nay nee treasures nor pleasures can make us happy lang, The heart's eye the part-eye that makes us richt or rang. Catch the moments as they fly, Use them as you ought, man. Believe me, happiness is shy. It comes not I, one sort, man. Live for now, for it's all you know.
1: Frank, thank you so much for being on Jordan Space today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join us. This This is
2: is Yawa Yawa Radio.
1: Radio. Well. Danny Paul, what a what a fabulous session with Frank there. It was um definitely to use a, a footballing analogy, um a kind of a game of two halves, wasn't it a very uh, intimate and and um powerful um message from Frank about his his son's experience, Alan's experience in life um yeah. uh, and then quite an uplifting um experience for the second half with with Frank's own music. um. Paul, what were some of the things you, you've taken away from uh, today's show?
2: Well, I thought that the first thing uh, that will stick with me is Alan. Um, you know, it sounds like a, a beautiful young man, a lovely soul, and again, so sad to, to lose someone like that. Um, the comment about, you know, he stayed as long as he could, you know, that quote and that comments, I think that's, um, you know, something to reflect on. Um, you know, we talk about prevention, we talk about trying to do what we can, but, you know, that, that's that's the reality of it. Listening to Frank talking about what he might have done or might have done differently or the conversations that he didn't have, et cetera, it's always hard, and you know that, Steve. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really good to have somebody talking so frankly, talking so openly and giving us that insight and giving other people that insight, and it's insight that they need. And like you say, the second half, the music was fantastic. I think it's great that Frank's chosen to go down that route to play the music. So some nights he might just be purely entertaining people and giving them a good time. And then he can tell his story when it's appropriate. He can make people think. Um, So he's, you know, he's doing, he's playing as important a role as anybody. And it's not just people who are running sort of major charities or major campaigns that are part of the solution here. It's people like Frank um, going around, you know, every day, helping to. Fuel a better conversation.
1: Yeah, and and, and just a, a beautiful example, really, of how we can all play a part in 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 some way as well. Thank you, Paul. Danny, what what uh, what were some of the things that you've taken away from today?
3: Yeah, Frank, Frank's story resonated a lot with me because I think Alan was very like drawn in a lot of ways. He was a very obviously a very caring, considerate person, but who suffered with poor self belief and worth. And you know, with both of them, despite accomplishing so many things and leading a life that others will be envious of. Um, and it really reflects um, of people who are suffering like this that they need to get the support they need because to others it may look like they have their lives together because of everything they're achieving, but for them it's like a constant pursuit of happiness and and yet never being satisfied with their achievements. And I think that's where people start to lose hope, and the real risk of suicide comes in as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important, isn't it, that we 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 don't just look at the surface there. And 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 I think you know we've we've said this many times. It is about talking it, it's you know we ask people to reach out for help but it is about reaching in isn't it as well and mm-hmm. and and just not assuming that 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 all of us are doing okay um all of the time absolutely well sticking with the theme of music for therapy and if you're in the uk and uh, catching this broadcast as it's going out on thursday the 16th of march and you haven't yet watched the channel Four program the piano i strongly encourage you to Watch that on catch up if you can do. And the fourth episode, which features Daniel Wilshire, um, good friend of the Jordan legacies. Daniel does a lot of talks to schools around the country following the loss of his father to suicide. Well, look, thank you both. And, and that's it for another episode of Jordan's Space. My thanks to both of you, Danny and Paul, um, and of course, to our guest this week, Frank Ritchie. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful. And as always, if you felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, please do get in touch either via our website at thejordanlegacy.com or by emailing hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can also engage with us on social media by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. Of course, you can find us on Facebook at the Jordan Legacy also. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to recordings of previous shows on our website by choosing the menu Jordan space at the top of the page. For now, from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you as always a safe, healthy, and above all, hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you now with one final track chosen by Frank, and that is Hey God by Vince Gill. This
0: This is is Yawa Yawa Radio.
1: Radio.
0: A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com co.uk and if you'd like to join us as a guest on yawa radio or as a guest on the yawa radio podcast we would love to hear from you simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk once again a big thank you for taking the time out to listen this is the yawa radio podcast copyright applies